Uh, so I can talk for a couple minutes about some of the major cases that, that I've been working on. Uh, some of these you're pretty familiar with. Uh, the executive orders on travel that were issued last year. Uh, that case is now going to be argued finally in the Supreme Court in a couple of weeks. But for most of the first year of my time at the department, that was a significant focus uh, of, of our work. And uh, we've done the, the best we can to get those cases uh, postured well for the Supreme Court. And of course, it'll be interesting to see what the court does with those cases. Uh, the same is, is just about true for the DACA litigation. That's also been a significant focus of the civil division. Uh, those cases you probably know are now in the Second and Ninth Circuit. Uh, the Supreme Court has ordered those circuits to expeditiously resolve those appeals. And once that happens, it's um, possible those cases would be up in the Supreme Court as well. The sanctuary cities litigation that you've probably been following in the news, virtually all those cases are also litigated in the civil division. So those cases range from an executive order the president issued last year on sanctuary cities, which I'll be uh, defending next week in court, to grant restrictions that the Justice Department has been placing on uh, various federal grants th that the uh, department issues and putting on some requirements that require cooperation on immigration issues between the, the local and state grant recipients and the federal government. And then also most recently, a lawsuit that the Attorney General announced about a month ago against the state of California, uh, challenging three state statutes uh, that uh, restrict or prohibit uh, state and local officials in the state from cooperating with uh, the United States on various immigration issues. Um, very interesting litigation will, will continue on, and uh, the California case especially, I think, will be an interesting one to follow. Some of you may have read about the emoluments litigation, uh, the Foreign Emoluments Clause. Not something you probably studied in law school because I don't think it's been litigated before in our nation's history, but uh, we've had a number of lawsuits uh, challenging um, uh, the president's um, personal business interests and whether uh, when foreign delegations or dignitaries visit those businesses, if that creates what's considered an emolument to the president in violation of a, a clause that's um, of course, been in the Constitution for a long time, but uh, rarely, if ever, litigated. Um, so those cases are ongoing. We've had sort of mixed results so far. And also the Affordable Care Act is, is another area that, of course, was litigated quite a bit in the last administration, and we continue to have litigation over the Affordable Care Act from, uh, from litigating over aspects of the law that were put in place in the last administration to litigation over aspects of the law that have been changed in the current administration. Now, when you look at that sort of basket of cases, uh, if you think about them, there's a couple of consistent themes that we're seeing a lot in our cases, and it's, it's reflected in all of those cases. One is that the primary plaintiffs that we're seeing in these, in these programmatic challenges to, to, uh, to, to federal, uh, federal initiatives are states. Uh, there are some states that are, are repeat players more than others, but in every one of those areas, uh, there's at least one or more cases that are filed by states or a host of states. Uh, that's a trend we've been seeing build for a while, but it's really now at its fore. Uh, and it creates challenges uh, for, for the government in the sense that uh, the states have had a lot of success uh, arguing that they have standing to pursue these cases. We, we've opposed uh, their standing in, in virtually all of these cases, but the courts have been finding standing for, for the states. The states, of course, have built-in uh, law firms, so there's no need for them to have to go either the plaintiffs in those cases have to find counsel or pay for counsel. They have taxpayer-funded counsel that's readily available, available to defend those cases. And then those, those states tend to be um, the, the courts where the states that are, are pursuing litigation against, against the federal government, where they can pursue their cases. Those courts sometimes can be sort of philosophically more aligned with the state interest, which can create challenges for us in terms of venue. 
And those states typically ask for relief, not just essentially for themselves, but in the form of a nationwide injunction that bars the federal government from carrying out its prerogative, not only with respect to the parties in that case, but around the nation. And that creates challenges as well because there are over 600 district court judges. And if one of them is willing to issue a nationwide injunction, um, that would defeat what, what, what if the other 599 all ruled in our favor, or you have one nationwide order that stops our conduct, uh, the other side wins, the government loses. So those are some, all some sort of inherent challenges that we're facing in this, this broad range of cases. And those are interesting issues to follow. Uh, I don't have a lot of time to talk about them this morning, but if you're interested in them, uh, Jeff Wall, who is our Principal Deputy Solicitor General, just gave a speech at Stanford Law School, I believe, on state standing. Uh, the Attorney General uh, gave a speech a few weeks ago at the Federal Society on nationwide injunctions. So if you're interested in those issues, you, I'd recommend that you um, take a look at some of those uh, some of those talks and, and uh, have a little bit of appreciation for some things we face in terms of litigation at the department. And I'll just close on, on talking about a couple of other uh, areas that we're working in that you might not be as familiar with because they haven't always generated litigation that's at the, at the, uh, on the top of the fold of the newspaper, but they're very important initiatives that the department is undertaking. Uh, one area that, that the Attorney General consistently speaks about is honoring the rule of law. And in everything that the Attorney General does that I've been involved with, he's been very interested in, in what the law allows, but going no further uh, and being very respectful of precedent and uh, the text of a statute and uh, proper role of agencies. So there are a number of things we've done at the department that reflect uh, that spirit, and they're, they're important. I'd like to mention just a couple of them. Uh, one is a memo that the Attorney General issued uh, barring third-party payments. Uh, there had been there had been developing a history of practice at the department where uh, the department was paying uh, not only judgments to parties that were involved in litigation, but making payments to other parties, either in the form of a, creating a cypre fund for parties that aren't before the court, or in settling cases, let's say with a bank, then setting aside a number of dollars that, that otherwise would come to the treasury, to the, to the, to the, back, to, back to the federal government, to pay for consumer relief or other efforts. Uh, there, are some, there are some areas where statutes require that we make third-party payments. Uh, the False Claims Act is one area where there are relators who bring cases, but, but, and there are some other examples, but otherwise the Attorney General has put a stop to uh, paying federal dollars to groups that are not litigants in the court and were not otherwise ordered to make payments to. I think it's an important, uh, important initiative by the Attorney General. With respect to uh, agency action, uh, a lot of you, of course, I'm sure are familiar with um, uh, how courts apply deference to agencies and how agencies have the ability to uh, either formally issue rules or otherwise issue um, sort of informal guidance. And uh, the Attorney General has done a couple of things in, in, in that space. Uh, one, he's put a, a prohibition on the Department of Justice uh, issuing guidance documents unless they're expressly re required uh, by a regulation or expressly uh, comply with a regulation or tra track a regulation. Uh, the Attorney General is concerned about uh, sort of expansion of um, uh, congressional uh, rules uh, that have been written uh, in, in the past to reach conduct that maybe wasn't directly regulated by the law at issue. So we've, we've, we've limited the ability to issue guidance by the department. And also in our affirmative enforcement areas that, that I talked about, some of the false claims work and consumer protection areas, uh, we are also not going to rely on other agency guidance uh, to find a violation of the law. So the department can't restrict the kinds of guidance, uh, informal guidance that other agencies issue, 
but we we do have control over the litigation we're involved in, and we're not we're we're uh, trying to be very mindful of not finding um, bringing affirmative enforcement cases based upon violation of another agency's guidance as opposed to an actual rule or, st or statute. In the False Claims Act space, uh, we issued a memo uh, articulating standards for when cases should be dismissed by courts. Uh, so in the, in the, if those who are familiar with the False Claims Act work know that a lot of these cases are key TAM actions brought by third-party relators in the name of the United States. And the United States has the ability to review those cases and decide if it wants to participate in those cases, to intervene in those cases. Uh, but we also have an obligation to look and see, is that the kind of case that actually is in, the, is in the best interest of the United States? Or is there a possibility that by bringing that case, it would actually have the allegation, of course, is that the United States has been defrauded, but there may be a reason why actually litigating that case is not in the best interest of the United States. And the department has a, has a uh, duty to review all those cases, and uh, by statute, we have the ability to move to dismiss cases if we think it's not in the interest of the United States. And we recently articulated some, um, uh, some, some rules on, on the... Um, uh, on the way we look at those cases so, so parties have a sense of what uh, might be the kind of case that would be appropriate for dismissal by the department. And finally, uh, those of you who do class action litigation are probably very familiar with the Class Action Fairness Act. Uh, you might know that there's a provision in, in CAFA that requires a notice to the Department of Justice uh, 90 days before any settlement is entered under CAFA. Uh, that provision has been in the law since I think it was enacted in 2005 in the Bush administration but it's not something that uh, the department was especially active in. Um, one problem is that these things we, these things we mailed sort of to the, to the attention of the attorney general at the department, these notices, uh, and between the time it takes to get through the mailroom and other things, most of the nine days would be taken up by the time that anyone uh, with a substantive interest in the issue actually got, 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 got a hold of the paper uh, to, to get involved if they were interested in. We've tried to clean that process up, and the, and the, the point is that we're gonna start looking at these, these um, settlements more closely to make sure that they really are in the best interest of consumers and that they're not simply um, settlements that benefit plaintiff's lawyers and maybe others, but have very, very little benefit to the actual consumer class that's supposed to be represented. So we've done that one case effectively so far, and we're looking for other opportunities to do so. Uh, so that's, that's all I have. Uh, I'll try to stick around today. I'd love to, to chat with, with many of you if you have time. If you're in Washington and you'd like to stop by the department, please let me know. If you don't have my uh, email address, Ben or someone else can give it to you, but be happy to show you around, uh, show you the Ohio flag, and uh, give you, give you a, ch a chance uh, to um, sort of see the inner workings of the department. So thanks again for having me, and have a great day.